five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it news? Hello, and a very warm welcome to episode 0278 of Five in the Eye. This is me, Michael O'Hujuri, back after a week away. Phil wants me to tell you the reasons for my absence last week, but it's a secret. I really appreciate Valentine standing in for me, though. You and your closely guarded secrets, Michael. Yes, this is Phil Woodford joining the show via Zoom this week and revealing that our top story is the highly controversial government contracts that are being awarded during the coronavirus crisis. Many people think it's jobs for the boys and there doesn't seem to be a lot to show for the billions that are being spent. Five in the eye. And our second story this week is about the plight of universities. In Leicester, many jobs could be on the line as the institution claims it can't be excellent at everything. It can't be excellent at everything. And needs to cut out whole subject areas. Hmm. What if the cities we lived in were designed by women rather than men? That's the intriguing idea we're discussing in story number three this week, prompted by an interesting article in the FT recently. I'm looking forward to that one. That's, that's an interesting, very interesting one. And for story number four, we discuss clutter during the lockdown. Have you lost control of your flat or house? Mm, during the, the the pandemic. And does it matter if you have? Good point. <laughs> and finally this week, to round off the show at number five, we talk about the perfect face mask. Mm. It smells of delicious bacon. Mm. <laughs> you, you feel permanently hungry. And that's this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. We're going to kick off the show this week with a figure. £6,250. That's what the government are paying some consultants a day. And that just shocked me. Over six grand a day. Who is worth over six grand a day? That just just got me in, okay, interested. And then when you look a bit further, there's no penalties in this. There's no targets. They're just paid £6,000 a day. Now, when you go dig a bit deeper... This is part of the twelve billion pounds of contracts the government is awarding for this track and trace system, track and trace, which has been, what, what, what did they say? World class. Uh-uh. It's been a total failure. Yet there's people in there with no penalties being paid extravagant sums. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against paying consultants. I'm not paying paying people for what they're worth. But you've got to prove to me you're worth some worth that. Phil, did, did you see that so they were using Excel spreadsheets and they were losing thousands of people as they transferred these spreadsheets amongst themselves? That's, that's incompetence. Yet they're being paid vast sums, extraordinary sums. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very difficult to imagine how anyone um, could justify paying these extraordinary sums of public money to individual consultants. And my question would be, what are they actually doing when they're sitting behind a desk and in the office, Michael, at these kind of rates, which I which I calculate to, to, to maybe come to about 14 quid a second as they sit at their their <laughs> desks during the day, you know, assuming a assuming a norm, normal working day. Do they get tea breaks? Uh, do they work through their lunch? I mean, uh, come on. These no, no, are, no, these no, are no, extraordinary give, figures. I'll, I'll give them the due. Most of the consultants I know do work. In terms of they're there, they're, they're present. Whether they're working, we can discuss. But they do pack the hours. And most of the consultants I know, they do they do work normally hard. Whether they're fruit, there is they're fruitful in their outcome. They're worth that. That's that, that's my issue. And, I, and I, for me, I want them to be targeted, mm. or you know, say step up to the plate. I will achieve X by Y. 
I think I better be fair to them. I think it's probably 14 quid a minute rather. I was doing lightning <laughs> calculations in, listen, in my mind. Listen, but but, but 14, 14, quid a, 14 quid a minute's pretty good work if you can get it, I reckon. Exactly. Don't you? I mean, look, just on the, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think that the, the issue here is accountability, Michael. Um, and you. you've kind of hinted at this already. A lot of these contracts have been awarded um, without proper tendering processes to a number of organisations. And I've been reading in the FT about this. There's about 840 uh, COVID-19 deals that have been handed out by the government. And, and many of them have not gone through the usual processes. The defence would be, of course, look, this is an emergency. And if we went through all the usual tendering processes and due diligence with all of this, the, you know, we'd be six months down the line and the pandemic would still be raging. And you know, th there has to be some kind of balance here, but we need scrutiny one one thing though that i i will pick up on is that this figure of 12 billion which you quoted um which is talked about a lot on social media as the figure for track and trace i mean i've done some digging on this and the ft says there are 10 billion uh, there are 10 billion pounds worth of contracts but it's not just for track and trace it's for things like personal protective equipment it's for phil, i'm sorry i don't buy it's, I'm not, it's I'm treatments sorry, it's treatments for people suffering no, from covid the, 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 so it's it's not the it's not the track and no, trace no, system the, the, it's still undefensible because it's a gravy train this is mates together giving you know, you've got this this uh merry-go-round between civil servants into the private sector you know you've got this dido harding no, no history in uh, no history in health, but she's top of this. She's leading this organization, and um, the Manibot, or this George George Manibot in the Guardian talks about the fact that he talks about racing and tracing. One of the you know, the sponsors of the Grand National is a health company, and guess what? They won a contract. I mean, you know, some, some of the contracts that I've read about, some, some of the contracts I've read about where, you know, uh, kind of pretty much off the shelf companies with no track record or history and the kind of stuff they're being given. You know, there, there is no defence for this, Michael. There's absolutely no, no, no defence Can I just finish? Though? The fact that this, this company, what's the name? Uh, Randox, or Randox, yeah? £130 million awarded for tracking days. No, um, no penalty clause just given to them, yeah? The thing failed. They had to withdraw the product. Mm -hmm. You know, so this this is gratuitous gravy trade, and, and the fact that they're awarding this with no scrutiny, as you say, no scrutiny. The fact that they're awarding it to people with no experience. Yeah, and, and yeah it's a bit like that. You, you, do you remember the famous um, ferry contracts after Brexit, where the where the company had never run any ferries? You yeah. know, <laughs> it's it's uh, there's a pattern here, isn't there? And it's it's actually not just related to the COVID nineteen pandemic. And this is where you know the defence that it's an emergency doesn't doesn't wash so much with me because I think we see this kind of uh, nepotism and uh, backroom dealing way way too much with this particular government. And I sense actually it's worse. Um, in the modern era with this particular government than it was with previous Tory governments um, in, the, in the past, Michael, you know, where there might have been even, even there, there might have been a sort of higher ethical standard as much as, much as it kind of pains me to concede it. But I think in the past, even under governments like Thatcher, you wouldn't have seen quite this kind of thing. This, this, this is, I was a couple of months ago when, when you saw uh, Gerard Kushner was putting in charge of the, uh, or getting the PPE and the track and trace tested in America. And he was giving it to all his high-tech buddy mates, all these big firms coming in. And it was, it was a disaster. It was a disaster. And I looked at that. that that's typical. That's the, that, that, that's the, you know, swamp, uh, the, the swamp that um, 
that, that Trump came to clear, he created the swamp. He brought his mates in, or his, his son brought his mates in, and they failed, spectacularly failed. You know, with 200,000 deaths on, growing in America because of that failure. I mean, what I would say, that, what I would say though, here. is ultimately the public is going to judge all this, in my view, by whether uh, the, 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 the people who've been awarded contracts deliver what, what they say. And you've already pointed to the fact that in many instances they don't. And there need to be penalties in that case. On the other hand, if, we're, if, I, if, if what I'm saying is true, and I'm going here on the FT, and that two-thirds of the 10 billion that they say has been awarded in contracts are actually for things like tests, for uh, drugs, uh, for PPE, which now is mainly going to be sourced in the UK. Mm -hmm. We were in a very weak position earlier in the pandemic where, where we got all our PPE from China. And of course, they were the first to be impacted by COVID. Um, but if, you know, I, I, I don't think there's, you know, as far as I'm aware, the, the, there's no suggestion that the drugs we're buying are somehow useless or invalid or you know i mean i i think that there must be elements of this money that is being well spent the trouble is how can you tell where that where that money is who's uh who's receiving it there needs to be accountability but, but thank you that openness you know we, we don't know who's on the track and taste committee with the uh, dido bell not dido bell sorry about it dido harding and the same with and with this um sage they've just released the people on and Sage there's kind of a secrecy about the government so there's two things I would want from the government to go forward to make me feel better. One, open up the books. Well, not the books, to the people. Who, 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 who are giving, who's giving out the contracts to who? What's their background? A bit of, a bit of openness there. And the second, and we're seeing it now in, in recent days and weeks, decentralize. Give, give, give Manchester, give, give Leeds, Liverpool, give them some local control. Because, okay, Phil, I'll give you another figure. I know you don't like me giving you figures, but I saw this figure of um, this 12 billion pounds track and trace. That's what they spend centrally. They spent 300 million. It's not a big figure. Well, just 300 million locally. The success rate, centralized success rate, six, you know, just over 60%. Locally, 97%. 97% success. Uh, uh, okay, well, I mean, I've already made my point a couple of times that the 12 billion isn't track and trace. It's a lot of other things besides. No, but, 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 you no, know, no, I, I, say, no, I mean, I don't think we have to get the fact, we have to get the facts right no, if no, we're going to be commenting, if we're going to be commenting. No, but, but for the figures speak for themselves. Look, if, if the, okay, again, you know, you don't like figures, but we spend, do you know how much, Germany spend just over 2 billion euros on track and trace. Do you know how much we, 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 we look at our figure is it's almost 10 times, I'm sorry, five times their figure. No, well, again, it, again, it's not because I've gone away and checked this. And Michael, you're not answering my point. The 10 billion is not track and trace. OK, that is just one aspect of it. It's drugs. It's PPE. It's a whole range of other stuff. OK, f f okay even if I accept that, Phil, now maybe I will because I, I, you're my friend. I accept you. The way the money has been spent, the gratuitous way, like that Randox example I gave you, you know, giving it to their mates. Now I know it's a pandemic. We've got to work quickly. And I fully appreciate that. But if you're working at pace, there has to be some degree of openness, some degree of accountability. So, you know, if you look at the figures between centralized and local, local works. So how can we make local work better and cheaper? And coming back to that £6,000 a day, Without you're going to have to you're going to have to raise your daily rate from 5000 <laughs> because because you know that you can get more
<laughs> Good grief. How we do? No one's knocking at my door. No one's knocking at my door. No, we want accountability and we want it lo- we want it de- decentralized. Five in the eye. Story number two this week is about the crisis in our universities. And um, it, it was brought to light by a report in the Leicester Mercury about um, Leicester University specifically, which is talking about uh, pulling out of a number of different courses. So um, impacted areas, the School of Arts, the School of Business, the School of Maths, uh, the Department of Neuroscience. Um, and um, th- what, what they're saying is, look, we're under severe financial pressure. We can't be excellent in everything. We're going to have to to specialise. And this is part of a wider picture because um, in the um, in the summer, the Institute for Fiscal Studies was looking at the situation of universities as a whole, particularly um, in the context of um, the COVID pandemic. And um, they're estimating that the sector's long, long-term losses could run to about 19 billion quid. Um, and, and more than half of those losses would be down to falls in tuition fee income from international students, which a lot of um, universities have become incredibly dependent upon. So they're all dependent on fee income. We've got the international students who are maybe iffier about travelling in the COVID pandemic. We've got British students who are paying out nine grand a year and uh, they're having a lot of their lectures online. And some of them may, you know, we're teetering on the brink, I guess, of a number of them dropping out or giving up or deferring and so on. And really, the situation is looking pretty bleak, isn't it? Okay, deep breath. Yes and no. Yes, if you look at the snapshot right now, but this has been coming. This has been coming a, a long time. Been coming a long time. In fact, the, some some departments and some universities not working. They're not working. Particularly the newer universities. And, you know, you, you so you have to question: Can you have? Is it, does a university have to do everything from history right through to all the arts and humanities? Into the sciences, into the the the, the, bio, the the biochemistry industries that we have to can it be involved in all of those things? And you have to say, hmm, hmm. this is even besides from the pandemic. Is it? It's not possible, or is it? Is it? Is it not? Is it not? No, it's not possible. We have to. We have to be selective. And I'm going to use. There's a buzzword going around now called the Great Reset. Now we can discuss exactly what that means, but I do think this is a reset, a chance for the university to look at themselves because things are accelerating. Things that are going to happen over uh, when we have a five-year period are happening over a one-year period. We could think, we could think particularly, issues. we could think particularly there of <clears throat> the migration of tuition online. So you know, I do some teaching at universities, and um, in the in the pandemic, that's now become virtual and um, in fact I was teaching the other day um, on teams to a class that I can see in front of me and they're all marked out in these kind of weird zones with masking tape and hazard warning tape on the floor and they're wearing masks and everything is rather dystopian and I'm here on a computer talking to them Um, which is a kind of weird hybrid where they're in they're in a room but I'm not with them and so you know so there's lots of weird things going on but you know universities had talked for many years about this digital revolution mm. but there were lots of vested interests saying mm. well actually we're, we're not going to move too fast with that now the world has overtaken them mm. but the danger is can you know is it possible to justify the same fees for 
um, tuition that takes place on on Zoom or Teams as it is when you meet your tutors face to face. Of course it isn't, but then you rebalance it in terms of the numbers and understand what 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 they're getting out of this because there's some. It, I mean, the questions about questions about is a university degree worth it? Now I used to think because I've got one, yes, it is. But you have to stand back and think now when you, you there's some the, you know the fifty thousand pounds to become a graduate. To what end? What about my my my, my life chances? Some you know we'll say twenty percent of university twenty percent of um of courses never no uh, students from don't get that money back throughout their entire life. So you have to mm. question: Is that the right thing for me to do a degree? Maybe we have to rethink what is a degree? Is it three years? Can we do it in two years? You know, can we check? Can we change? Can we spin it around? Can we re- re- look at it? And, and we, that, we, we, we already probably have a sense, don't we, that, you know, that, that there's a snobbery attached to degrees. If you've done a particular subject, that's better than another subject. If you went to a particular university, that's better than another university. And, and you know, and then surely people who've done three-year degrees are looked on more favourably than people who've no, done okay, two-year degrees. I and, guess that may well be the case now, but I need that, that's changing. We'll have to change. You know, you know the advert that the government got, got, got slated for, the ballerina, saying yeah. the ballerina today you're a security programmer the next well mm. the, okay i know they were slated for it but but that's the reality in terms of we need to rethink lifelong learning how do we do this how, how do we create a mindset that says that's not it i remember we used to talk about the half-life of uh of a physics degree when i first did it it was, it was seven years that I mean in seven years time it was it was worth Half that knowledge was, was was useless. Okay, I'm dramatizing for effect. I'm sure well, had, now, had, had, had kind of gravity changed in the meantime, or something like that. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Let me double check. But no, it's that the, the, the speed of change. So our ability to respond to the change is important. And so the institutions, I think, must must think in those terms. You know, and we've got to move away from this uh, the old town versus gown. You know, the the vocational versus the academic, you know, the arts versus the sciences. The, the, those are old arguments, you know, people dominating that. But we know how successful vocational training is. Look at the success of the German economy in terms of their approach to engineering engineering, and our approach, whereas arts are somehow considered more refined, more mm-hmm. refined than engineering. Now that's changing. We've got to change the pace now. And this, maybe this, this, this um, COVID pandemic, it's a time for that reset in the universities. And we can look at the money, look at the courses, step back. There may be some pain. Is that final thought before we move on? You know, there is already, we know, a huge division between the elite universities in the UK and the others. And so if you're a member of this elite group called the Russell Group, you it's a sign usually that you're relatively secure financially. You've got big research projects and interests and which may be threatened by Brexit, I have to say. But, you know, and, and then you get to the real elite, the Oxfords and Cambridges, and these colleges are endowed with billions of pounds. And, and, and so they're going to be fine, aren't they? But if you're a, uh, if you're a modern university on the outskirts of an industrial city somewhere, your prospects are looking a lot bleaker. No, I, I, this is where you got this thinking. You have to rethink what, what you want, what you want out of life, and what you're going to get, what you can get in the long term. So, no, I, I'm um, in the short term. I'm concerned, Phil, about the, the, this um, these changes they're making universities. But it's, but what it says, not everyone can have a history department, but have an archaeology department. We're going to have excellence. 
centers of excellence and, and, and invest accordingly. And I know it may be difficult, you know, but I, I think that's even better than some of the alternatives I saw. People talked about closing whole universities. Now that, that, that's terrible. University is, is, a, is the lifeblood of a town. That brings not just students and and, the, and that student economy. In. Well, actually, you know, we we you, you you're quite right because you know, I mean, the the, the economic Im, the impact can't be underestimated on city. And we've seen it with COVID, haven't we? In cities like your home city of Liverpool, where where students are really really important to the economy. Exactly. Exactly. So so we've got to work this out, and we we can't we well we won't, the government. I'm sure the government won't, won't let them die easily. So unless when you the headline that Leicester is rethinking, and there's a lot of. A lot of um, soul searching and, and happy people in Leicester, but then the, the the chancellor and his team have to make the decisions for the future of the university in Leicester, what it can deliver as a centre of excellence in its, in its in its chosen subjects, and it can get the funding both from government and from um, from from industry, from 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 benefactors to to support that cause as a kind of a a, a circle there in terms of your excellent feeds feeds investment. I know, and as I say this, I think you know. What about poetry and history and philosophy? These, 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 these humanities departments are is just as important. But maybe we need to focus on excellence in them. Where, where, where is it being done the very best, and then feed into that? Or maybe even to your point about uh, distance learning, maybe we could have subsidiaries in other universities, departments in other universities. I don't know, but we need to rethink. Uh, how we run universities. Five in the eye. Our third story this week made me smile because I thought, what's this all about? It says, what if cities were designed by women? <laughs> and to be honest with you, I'd never thought of this. But it was it's a brilliant article, Phil. Brilliant. And the, 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 the suggestions were so practical, so, so, so down to earth. Like the head one, headline one, toilets. Now, often we discuss toilets on five in the eye. It's one of your fa- one of your favourite topics, Michael. And they said we need more of them. They need to be bigger. You know, who hasn't seen that scene when you've gone to um, you go into the toilets and the blokes just walk straight in? Mm. Yet you've got the women queue queuing up 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 uh, up the stairs and round the block. Why is that? Because women need more space. Yeah. So why not make toilets bigger? Put them up, give them, it just means it's natural. It sounds it sounds pretty fair, doesn't it? Exactly. And you know, so that, 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 that seems sensible. And they talked about space, playing space. You know, just not lots. I'm just picking the, the the ones that really caught my eye about playing space. Space was devoted to football. Blokes play football, so the playing spaces were big. Were big. They were not small and intimate. They were talking about making you know dividing the place up better. So you had more seating areas so people could sit and chat. Then we get rid of the car. We could put the car underground with more, more pedestrianised areas so women ladies with prams. And the one that shook me felt. So you, you, you're saying that, that girls should be content to sit around where boys go off and do No, no, things. no, I'm not saying that. There should be spaces, not just for, for girls, for older people. You know, they want to, to walk, you have a chat, to, to sit down and have a chat with themselves or when you, when you just want a bit of a rest, you know? The, the one that really, the other one that stuck out to me was, was buses. Women, women use buses proportionally more than men. They use mm-hmm. public transport more than men. So we should make them better. And I, I sit in on my old, my 180 when there's just two two push chairs are allowed on, on the on the on the yeah. bus. 
that that's yeah, and, and and of course um in recent years for understandable reasons passengers with disabilities have taken priority over exactly. pass- passengers with with prams and so on and so then a mother sees someone who's already on the on the bus maybe in a motability uh, a scooter or what have you and they can't get on can they exactly so we, we, we can rethink that of public transport for for, for women or for, for, for to your point disability as well make it easy not just focus on the you know, the, the mobile only male so i thought there was lots of things lots of just little things not no not, not big just little things they could do to make it then, nice it, 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 i i i'm i'm completely on board with this it sounds it sounds very fair and the kind of thing that urban planners really should be doing and i know you you were sharing a video michael from barcelona in spain where where a lot of this stuff had been taken on board but i mean is there an argument that says actually there is a bigger picture here which is that the whole look and feel and aesthetic of a city is male i mean the the hard concrete surfaces the the huge towering blocks and so on if if, if we were if we were if we were building from scratch would all the architecture be different if women were uh, had historically been involved in shaping cities, for instance. Well, there are there are women architects that reshaping city. One died. Um, the lady who designed the swimming pool at um, Olympics and named the Zadid. I the name escapes me. Some brilliant way of innovative to work, work all over the world. So women are architects are there. I don't think it's as simple as women architects. I think it's just a holistic thinking. You know, more women involved in the, in town planning, more women involved in architecture, more women involved in public transport, more women involved. You know, you know, I've said this many times. The iPad would not be called the iPad if they had women on the uh, the Apple the Apple board. You know, so it's just little things like that. Women add that extra that 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 extra lens. Mm. And, and as a black person, again, when you look at these um uh these these facial facial recognition system how they consistently fail black people you know were black people involved in the development and the design and test no so it's just bringing other than just white males into the play just bring them in and then we get a much nicer a much more inclusive environment you know I, I just love the idea of uh, you know it just seemed lovely the, the, the kids were playing freely old people were walking about freely and because you forget, we, we kind of live with the way it is, because that's the way it is. We've accommodated, but there is a better way. I'm not just saying just a feminine way, but more a holistic way. We're involving all of us in the... the yeah, and it's about, it's about, yeah, inclusivity and making sure that cities work for everyone that lives in them and not just a particular group. And and, and I, I I think that's very fair. Uh, but oh, um, yeah, that's generous of you. You, 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 you with the big bladder. We- <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I, I, I think you know, people. There may be some people that do need to go to the toilet more than others. Um, I'm not, I'm not, name, I'm not naming any names, Michael. There will be those people, and we need to, we need to make the city you know, accessible for them. Accessible. That's the big word, accessible. Because sometimes when you've got to go, you you got to go. So you know, it, it's. Uh, can you can you hang on for another ten minutes? Because we just we've got to finish the show. <laughs> <laughs> you're making fun of me making fun of me but i'm so i'm, I'm for well, i've said it many times on the eye in the eye more toilets more toilets more seats less cars more buses <laughs> you know free the people five in the eye story number four this week is about clutter and there's a particular concept which i'd never heard of before until michael shared this uh article from the guardian with me 
um, and the, the word is clutter core. And apparently this is a kind of hashtag on um, uh, on um, social media. But w- what we find is that um, maybe in the past few months of the pandemic, things have been uh, gradually taking over our house because we're in the house more and we're gathering more stuff together and perhaps we've lacked the energy for, d- for the cleaning and so on. And um, some people are actually celebrating the idea of clutter. We've lived a long time, haven't we, with this idea that minimalist living, minimalist living is best and that you know, uh, we should declutter. And now there's a counter movement, which is showing pictures of beds piled up with clothes and walls papered with pictures. And and the the thinking is, actually, this is cosy. This is the way that humans psychologically want to live. As an untidy person, Michael, I embrace this this clutter. As an untidy person. okay. let me test you on this. If I was to go into your bedroom and I look at what the two sides of the bed, Whose side of the bed would be the neatest? I would say both sides are untidy. Oh, which is which 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 is a, a very sad. That was reflection. the wrong answer, by the way. That was the wrong a, answer. A, a very very sad reflection on on on, on me and Mrs. W. But we struggle. We struggle. I mean, she she is much tidier than me, and she is always determined to get the place tidy. But she lives with someone who's kind of incapable of being tidy, and so this is a perennial source of. Uh, marital dispute we're, we're, we're the opposite you know i'm i'm relatively tidy not that, but ebu is well she would say she's got a lot of stuff she's got a lot of stuff. and i would say you can get rid of a lot of stuff but i think what this pandemic has done because we we don't go out so much now so stuff gets left around so mm. it, it looks a bit cluttered but it's you know we're, we're moving from space to space moving stuff around to you're creating a studio one moment next when Ebu's painting you know so there's stuff everywhere and we're, we're learning to live with it we're learning to live with this clutter so i think this this in some ways i hope this isn't the new normal you know because you do need that reset where you put everything away and it's nice you know, when the house is nice and clean and ordered but having I, I- would you would you live like that permanently? No, you got stuff everywhere. Well, I mean, Mrs. W and I, we do sometimes talk about like why do people send us things? I mean, the stuff that comes through the post that you don't want, but you feel you can't get rid of. You know, you know that stuff when you're when you're tidying up, you're looking at something and you're thinking, I really, really don't want this thing, but maybe I maybe it's no, important. I, I, maybe I, I, I'm going to have to keep it. You know, our our our, our porch, no, not our porch, our hallway is full of boxes now because we open, we spray stuff, and then we open it in the hallway, and we just leave the box there, and that gets full of boxes. So we, then we, well, you know, every couple of days, you have to collect the box together and put them in the bin. So we're getting stuff in. We aren't managing clutter, but it's it's a an ongoing battle. Ongoing battle. Just before we just before we leave this story, I have to point out in the Guardian article some crazy stuff. Like, for instance, there's someone who's there's a, there's a lady called Jennifer Howard who's written a book called Clutter: An Untidy History, and they also refer to an academic who's who, at DePaul University in Chicago, Joseph Ferrari, who stu- studies the psychological impact of clutter. So you can you can make a career from clutter, Michael. A PhD in clutter. <laughs> Well, you're full of... No, no, I'm not going to say that. not going to say that. Moving on, moving on. Five in the eye. Our fifth and final story this week. Hmm, bacon. This is Hormold. This is an American bacon manufacturer of smoked bacon. Look, looks lovely. It's not cheap. 
<laughs> lovely. And they're giving away a bacon-flavoured mask. You have to take part in, you have to go to their website, put your name, it's a bit of a lottery, and they, they send you on. And it looks, it looks good, but it, I'm sure it smells beautiful. Breathable bacon, they call it. And I love that idea. Of a because I mean, there's mask. something about the, the the mask wearing. I mean, it's like after a while, you 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 kind of feel that it's the air's a bit stale, and you know, you 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 really like to take the mask off. But maybe if there was a wafting smell of a rasher, you would be you'd be quite happy to keep the mask on for longer, and then you would be protecting people from the COVID and enjoying yourself, immersing yourself in a good bacon. Sandwich. Well, potentially. What, 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 what if you're a vegetarian, though? Ah, good point. So in that case, you'd have your own smells. Right. Your like own smell. corn, corn mask or something like that. <laughs> it's a bit like, you know, those smells, you know, the smell of snow. Or the smell of a newly mown lawn. Yes. You know, I'd, I'd start sneezing with my hay fever. <laughs> that, that, that wouldn't be my smell of choice. I mean, obviously, this is an American company, but don't you think we should really consider a range of full English masks? So you'd <laughs> have you'd have so, you'd have the sausage, a bit of uh, fried egg, black pudding, maybe oh, that kind black of thing. Pu- a black pudding. Oh my! No, I'm sorry. That, that, oh, I feel I feel ill at the thought of that. that you're going to be too far. Maybe you could have a roast dinner. Now that'd be nice. Ah, yeah. Chicken, yeah. The, the, the the chicken gravy kind of smell. That'd be really nice. Because I guess there's we got all these flavors and crisps. So why can't we have flavours in masks? Yeah, crisp flavours is one. Crisp flavours one of your favourite topics, isn't it, Michael? Brussels sprouts favourite crisps. I saw. I saw incidentally that that Bailey's have brought out an apple pie flavoured liqueur for Christmas. (laughs) Well, exactly. So you could have a mask to go with it. You have a package. (laughs) You you have apple flavour. You buy the drink and the flavoured mask. Come on, I own that now. I'm branding that now. That's mine. That's mine. You can't take that away from me, Phil. I love that. I like that idea. I do. Five in the eye. Anyone who is an avid listener to Colourful will know that we have used the Colourful platform over the last two years to champion people caught up in the Windrush scandal. We all know the wrongs, and the Home Office is now trying to right those wrongs. So, Colourful is urging you to listen to this message and pass it on far and wide. Some people of Caribbean origin or from countries including Ghana and Nigeria who settled lawfully in the UK before the end of 1988 may not have the documents they need to show their legal rights to live and work here. The Windrush screen could help you get the documents you need free of charge. If you've lost out on things like work, healthcare and housing opportunities because you couldn't prove your right to remain in the UK, you might be eligible to receive compensation through the Windrush Compensation Scheme. To learn more, contact the free Windrush Help Team on 0800 678 1925 or visit gov.uk Windrush Help Team. That's 0800 678 1925 or gov.uk Windrush Help Team. Five in the Eye. Well, we hope you enjoyed episode 0278 of Five in the Eye. If you have something you want to tell us, please visit our Facebook page and leave us a comment. And we do hope you'll join us again next time. For now, this is me, Michael Ohijuru, saying, as ever, if you have been, thanks for listening. And this is Phil Woodford reminding you to keep an eye on the news as you never know what we'll be discussing on next week's Five in the Eye. Goodbye. 
five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?